Welcome to Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Soul Twin Audios. Stories created solely with a vintage soul in mind. Modern day era driving you up a wall. Time travel not likely in your future? Then follow me for a healthy offering of yesteryear with old time radio theater. Your remedy for unwanted 21st century pain. O-T-R-T-S-T-A. What story can I connect you with today? Do you have anything, I don't know, like a dystopian world, you know, futuristic with a literary vibe to it? Soul Twin Audio brings you another recreation of a suspense episode, 2462. Listen now to 2462, starring Robin Robbins, Jake McCaskill, Jonathan Lee Taylor, and Dean T. Moody, and written especially for Suspense by George Bamber. This episode was revived by Rachel Pulliam for Soul Twin Audio's Old Time Theater Range. I woke up on the floor shivering. All my clothes were gone. It was like a nightmare. A nightmare I had dreamed many times before and dreaded coming true. First I thought I had woke up in my own room and someone had taken all of my furniture and clothes. But then I realized it wasn't so much a room as it was a cube. An empty, sterile cube with luminescent walls that hummed with a soft blue-green light. I jumped up then and threw myself against the walls trying to find a way out. There was none. No door, no window, not even a ventilation tube. I banged on the walls and screamed, but no one answered me. Nothing. I slumped back down to the soft, plastic floor of my cell, afraid to admit to myself where I was. Just then, the wall in front of me slid back on its tracks, and in the pale light of the corridor, I could see a small, thin figure in prison coveralls with a nine-digit number tattooed on his forehead. What do you want? Follow me. The man turned his back on me and stepped on the moving conveyor in the corridor. I stumbled after him because I was afraid to be alone. I had to know what was happening. Where are you taking me? No talk. Follow me. I could tell by the steady movement of the jaw and the dull, faraway look on his face that I could question him all day and it wouldn't do any good. The guard was chewing tranquil gum, and the effects of that stuff lasts for a week. I could scream at him, and that wouldn't bother him. Nothing would bother him unless I tried to escape. I knew where I was now. There could be no doubt of that. I rode behind my silent guide, up and down what seemed like endless corridors, passing rows and rows of cells, just like the one I had left. Some of them had their reverse scanners on 
That means you could see in, but the prisoners couldn't see out. Some of them were sitting in the middle of their queue, staring at nothingness. Most of them were slumped on the floor asleep, kept that way by somnigas, a gentle gas that kept the inmates unconscious and manageable until their cases came up. I knew one day I would wind up here. And here I was, in the most scientific escape-proof extermination center in the world. In here. The guard stepped off the conveyor in front of a heavy chrome door marked courtroom and pushed a button. I moved through the doorway like a schoolboy, called upon to recite. The room was not much bigger than the cell I had left, and it was empty. A lieutenant sat behind a desk. His plastic bars gleamed at me brightly from his shoulders. I heard my guard close the door behind us. Then I noticed one wall was completely covered with the sleepy face of a computer. Sit down. Sit down. I did as I was told on the only other piece of furniture in the place. A small three-legged stool in the middle of the room. There was a young male secretary sitting at an electro-writer, taking down everything that was said, feeding it into the computer. Identity? Frank Smith. I said your identity. I told you, sir. Do not hold up the proceedings. Time is precious. You were issued a combination serial, social, and telephone number that was imprinted on your forehead at birth. From here, it appears to be 10830 Is that correct? That is the number tattooed on my head. Clerk, let the record show the subject is hostile. Let us proceed. Case of the People versus 10830 Convened in the first court at 1800 hours in this day of our world, the 18th of November, 2462. 10830 you are charged with two counts. One, writing non-productive literature, and two, wasting government time. How do you plead? True or false? I don't understand. Have you or have you not written poetry? I'm a clerk in the space department. True or false? False. I have here some hundred pieces of doggerel. I shall read a portion of one. See if you recognize it. In my treeless, greenless office, amid the bustling mad despair, I hunger after exile from the chrome and filtered air. Well? It's not a very good poem, is it? Did you or did you not write this poem? True or false? I hardly see... Answer true or false. False. Account, then, for the fact that this poem was written on your electro-writer. There are millions of electro-writers. As you may or may not know, each electro-writer has its own characteristics, as individual as fingerprints. An expert has identified this poem as coming from your machine. I can call him in to testify, if you like. There's two shifts. I'm not the only one assigned to that machine. You are not only a poet, but you are a very stupid one. Every electro-writer imprints the date and hour of transmission. In every case, the poems were written on your machine while you were sitting at it, supposed to be doing the invaluable work of the space department. What have you to say? What can I say? You are charged with two very grave counts in this court, writing non-productive literature and wasting government time. How do you answer? How else can I answer? Guilty. 10830 you insist upon imposing on this court concepts of legality as ancient as 1962. In this court, 
Subjects are neither guilty or not guilty. They are simply productive or non-productive, social or antisocial. I repeat, are these charges against you true or false? Answer one or the other. False. Very well. Clerk, signal the judicial computer that all facts and considerations of this court are now at hand, and submit the subject's work record. I watched like a sleepwalker as the lieutenant handled the thin, punched, tabulated cards that were the history of my life. I watched with a gambler's fascination as one by one he fitted them into the monster's mouth and the lights blinked and flickered across its face digesting my life and worth on this earth and estimating in hours and seconds how much longer I'd be permitted to stay. Suddenly, I realized the computer had stopped. The lights across its face were dark. The machine's mouth spat out a thin, red plastic card, and the clerk handed it to the lieutenant. Number 10830 It is the decision of this court you are no longer essential or desirable to life on this earth. What? On the 343rd day of the year, 2462, you will be taken from your cell to the Division of Agriculture for processing. No. Your body will be reduced to its basic components. Oh, no. And your existence on earth will be terminated. No. No, no, no. In God's name, give me another chance. It is the decision of this court. You can't condemn a man to die for writing a few lines of poetry. Not for writing a few lines of poetry. For being a poet. If you were a scientist or engineer, we could afford to overlook these excessive characteristics in your personality. We could forgive the writing of a few lines of doggerel. But you are not a scientist or engineer or even a mathematician. You are a clerk in the space department. And according to your work record, not very good at that. I have no head for figures. At a time when the world is crying out a need for mechanical and technical brains, the best you are suited for is rhyming words on scraps of paper. Can you possibly imagine... I stood looking at the man who was a lieutenant, saw his eyes on me. His lips moved, but no sound came out. Everything he said was true. The world was in trouble. Three hundred, four hundred years ago, they thought they were having a population explosion. They should see it now. People live as far beneath the ground as above. New York was built out thirty miles over the water, and people commuted to work from as far away as Ohio and Michigan. Even the deserts were populated. It took mathematical and technical brains just to keep it all going. Not to mention the problem of finding new worlds in space. One zero eight three zero three seven one five. It must be apparent that even if you had some mechanical ability for the service and repair of computers and machines... I could try to learn. But you have no mechanical ability. Your aptitude tests show that. Just give me a chance to learn. There is no time. The world needs these talents now. Not a year or a month from now. But all I want is to live. We all want to live. That is the whole problem. The function of this court is to weed out the people who are not necessary to the continuation of life from those who are. Artists, philosophers, theologians, and poets are not necessary. You have been found to be a poet. I appeal to the mercy of the court. There is no mercy in a mathematical equation. Oh, give me another chance. Just Number one. Number 10830371515, you are wasting the court's time. I have many more cases to deal with today. 
As you stand now, you are a drain on the Earth's natural resources. In exactly 20 days from now, you will contribute to them. Case dismissed. Look, I, I have... I have one favor to ask. Everyone is granted one last request. What is it? I, I have the right, do I not? To spend my last days conscious? Yes, but you should request Somnigas. Time goes by faster, and then, in the end, is not so... painful. I want to spend my last days conscious. Conscious? Why? So I can write. Write? Yes, write. I, I wouldn't have to have an electro-writer in my cell. Just a pen would do. I know how to use a pen and some paper. I know you have no power over the decision of the court. But just this one last request... Very well. Orders will be left for a paper and pen to be at your disposal. Thank you. No more can be granted than the law allows. You may spend your last remaining days on Earth conscious and writing gibberish poems or whatever you wish. Next case. I had to bite my tongue to keep from shouting and turning handsprings all the way back to my cell. I had won the right to remain conscious my last days on Earth. The right to have one more chance at life and freedom. I realized fully how small that chance was. In the days where men still believed crime was cured by punishment, my cell would have been a jailer's dream. The smooth plastic walls were flawless. I searched the whole cube, and no more than the first time I saw them, not even the little pinholes which admitted the gas that finished you. I had hoped to dig under the soft foam rubber plastic on the floor with the point of my pin, but I dug at it, and I couldn't even scratch it. For what must have been five days, I studied the prison routine in hopes of jamming the door and overpowering one of the guards. But it was impossible. Once a day, the wall was rolled back and food was tossed in, wrapped in electroethylene, and then rolled back again before you can get to it. It was impossible to wait near the door because the guards could see you waiting there and would not open it until you were well back in the center of the cell. On what must have been the tenth day, I started to have hallucinations. People began to appear in my cell and chat with me. People who had died long ago. To stave off madness, I picked up the broken stub of my pen and began to write feverishly. I wrote a poem to a girl I had seen once when I was fourteen, and then I wrote about the last blade of grass I had seen. I wrote faster and faster until I was completely caught up in the joy of writing, writing about all the things I could remember until I lost track of all time, of place. Oh no, it isn't time. I still have twenty days left. Twenty days, he Shh, said. Quiet, son. You still have two days to go. What do you want? To talk. Mind if I come in? It's your prison. He didn't come all the way in, but stood in the door. Out of sight, out of the hall, but blocking my way. He was a very old man with mottled parchment skin. His prison coveralls hung on him like elephant skin. Who are you? I'm the night duty guard. What do you want? Oh, just to talk. I've never seen you before. Well, I've seen you every night. 
I see you are looking over my shoulder, reading the things you write. I, I hope you enjoyed yourself. I did. I haven't read any new poetry in 50 years since the computers came in. You got away with words. Thank you, sir. Oh, that's all right. There's one poem you wrote the night before last. Which one, sir? Uh, the one about a man who's gonna die and doesn't know why. Oh, you mean this one? Yes, yes, that's the one. Would you mind reading it for me? My eyes tire easily. Okay. In the monumental silence of a long and pointless strife, I'm pained at my reluctance to let go this last of life. I only ask the place and time enough to give some small meaning to the meaningless and point to having lived. Yes, <laughs> I like that. How would you like to get out of here? Are you crazy? No. No one gets out of here alive. Guards do. But I'm not a guard. You could be. Now I know you're crazy. You could be if you put on my clothes, my uniform. That wouldn't do any good. They'd still recognize me by the number on my forehead. Well, that's what gave me the idea. Look at your number, look at mine. 108808715. Only the eights are different. Yes. Oh, you could take that pen of yours and make your threes look like eights. But you're an old man. I'm young. They would recognize the difference immediately. No, 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 they wouldn't. The only one who sees me is that guard that relieves me, and he's unhappy gum. The only thing he looks at is my number. As long as that's right, he's happy. He couldn't tell you what I looked like if his life depended on it. But why? I don't know why. Maybe just because I like poetry. Maybe because I'm going to die anyway. <laughs> Look at me. I'm 110. Yesterday, I read where they're going to start eliminating everybody over 102. It'll probably be law before the year's out. But that's still a year to live. Maybe more. A year of what? can't smell anymore. My taste buds are gone. My hands and feet are always cold. That's not the real reason, is it? No. <laughs> no, it isn't. Then what is? I have a granddaughter about your age. Beautiful girl. She used to write and paint some when she was young. Of course, we had to discourage it after the computers came in. Well... It would just make me feel good to know they haven't stamped out the genes for poetry completely. I hate to live in a world where you don't get anything more than what comes blasting in at you over the telecommunicator. Well, what do you say? Are you willing? I'm willing if you are. Ah, good. Now listen carefully. He sat up most of the night explaining his job to me, cross-questioning me to be sure I remembered it right. His job was simple, mostly just pushing buttons. 
The difficult part would be finding my way out of the huge prison without looking like I was groping and getting off the overhead rail at the right stop to find his granddaughter's home. Finally, when he was convinced I had it right, he left, promising to change places with me the following night. I was almost afraid to believe him. The hours of what was to be my final night on earth crept by. The day had been bad enough, but the night was worse. A hundred times I decided the night was over, that it had all just been a sadistic trick by the old man so he could watch the agony of my final hours on earth to pass the time. I was just about to beat against the walls and scream when- Quick! Help me out of these curls! I thought you wouldn't come. Oh, I had to wait till the end of the watch so you'd have the best chance of escaping. How much time do I have left? Uh, about 20 minutes. The day guard will be coming to relieve me soon, so uh, hurry, will you? W where's your pen? Here it is. Alright, now hold your head still while I change these threes to eights. Alright, alright. Now remember, stay on the overhead rail until you get out of Arizona. My granddaughter's the next stop after that. Okay. There, you're finished. Goodbye. I, I don't... I don't know what to say. I don't say anything. Say goodbye before I change my mind. At best, courage is a quicksilver thing. Goodbye, old man. And thanks. Quick, close the door! I did as I was told, raising my hand to break the circuit, and I watched as the old man smiled at me and took up his position in front of it. The clock on the board said ten minutes to five in the morning. Ten minutes before I would be released. How's it going? Huh? I said, how's it going? Everything quiet? Oh, fine, fine. I recognized them as the guard who was to relieve the old man. For a minute, I was afraid he'd recognize me as his eyes drifted across my face, but then they flicked up to my forehead to check my serial number, and he resumed his steady, quiet chewing. I came in a little early. You can never tell about the overhead rail, when it's gonna get jammed up. Yes, I know. Things... things are a mess. What? what's that? Trouble in cell number 84. See the flashing light on the board? Yes, I better turn it off. Cell 84. That was my cell. The one I just left. That meant the old man was probably banging on the walls. I see cell 84 is scheduled for termination this morning. He probably lost his nerve. He should make them all stay under Somnigas while they're here. Makes them easier to handle that way. I, I, I can't turn the alarm off. Of course you can as long as he's banging on the walls and screaming that way. You'd better go down and see what he wants. Do I have to? Of course you do, it's the law. He might have something more he wants to say. I walked down the hall, feeling the guard's eyes on my back. I didn't dare argue with him anymore for fear he would become concerned. It was all over now. I knew it was all over. I could see the old man beating on the walls of his cell beyond the transparent plastic walls, screaming soundlessly. He had changed his mind. He wanted to live. In a minute, he'd be running down the hall shouting for help. In two hours, I would be dead. I raised my hand to break the electric circuit. Ah, oh, there you are. I was afraid you wouldn't come back. 
You took the poems with you, and I couldn't remember that one. All I could remember is, I only asked the place. I can't remember how it ends. I only asked the place and time enough to give some small meaning to the meaningless and point to having lived. Here. Yes, that's it. And point to heaven lived. You've been listening to 2462, written especially for suspense by George Bamber. 2462 was directed and produced by Rachel Pulliam, with sound design and sound effects by J.S. Farrington, with original incidental music by Dr. Ross Bernhardt. Featured in the cast in order of appearance was Jerry Elliff as announcer, Robin Robbins as 1083037511, Jake McCaskill as the young guard, Jonathan Lee Taylor as the lieutenant, and Dean T. Moody as the old guard. The suspense theme was composed by Bernard Herman and reimagined and performed by David Krauss. I'm trying to read! Renfield, enter! Count Dracula! I found an especially juicy dinner for you, Master. It's not a puppy this time, is it? No, Master. I promised I had learned my lesson. I know you did, and you've been steadfast ever since. I apologize for doubting you. Please, put it over there. Master, if I may ask, why didn't you go out hunting tonight? Why did you request takeout? It's because I'm reading a very excellent book that I just can't put down. It is quite the page-turner, as I believe the children today say. It's called Gothic Meditations at Midnight by Dr. Stephen Edred Flowers. Gothic Meditations at Midnight? Is it a forbidden grimoire of unholy rites? 
No, Renfield. As its subtitle states, it contains esoteric commentaries on classic horror literature and film from the year 1919, which for me was a very good year, to 1975. I don't understand, Master. Dr. Flowers is a scholar who is also a lover of horror films and literature. And he was a monster kid. You always said children were the most tasty. <laughs> Focus, Renfield. I am not drinking Dr. Flowers. I would rather consume his tasty books, like this one. Gothic Meditations at Midnight. Yes, Renfield. Gothic Meditations at Midnight. In it, he provides commentaries on his thoughts and, well, meditations. Meditations on film and literature through the lenses of the historical Gothic, from the Gothic tribes to the later artistic movement of that same name. He meditates on various esoteric and occult aspects, and with plenty of sinister fun. He even starts with an essay on me. Excellent, Master. What else did he meditate on? Plenty. There are chapters on the mummy, the wolfman, the phantom of the opera, Dr. Frankenstein and his creature, the nihilistic cosmic horror of H.P. Lovecraft, the psychologically interior horror of Edgar Allan Poe, a unique exploration of zombies, the horror films of German expressionism, and quite a bit more. Each essay explores information and interpretations that are deep and dark, wondrous and mysterious, with a distinct synthesis of the scholarly and the personal. It sounds wonderful, Master. I will leave you to your book and your meal. <laughs> Thank you, Renfield. Out of curiosity, who did you capture for my dinner? An especially pompous professional film and literature critic. <laughs> Most serendipitous, Renfield. Most serendipitous indeed. Critics. And people think vampires are parasites. Ha! Gothic Meditations at Midnight by Dr. Stephen Edred Flowers is available at SeekTheMysteries.com That's S-E-E-K-T-H-E-M-Y-S-T-E-R-I-E-S dot com or at your favorite online or brick-and-mortar bookstore. Ha, 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 ha.